Now, how many of you have ever done anything with a compass? Maybe done lamb navigation, orienteering, something like that. So how does, how does a compass work? What's the idea behind a compass? You've got a needle on it. What's the, where does the needle point? North. What happens if the needle doesn't point the right way? You get, yeah, you throw the compass away, right? You get, yeah, you get lost, right? You can get lost. Well, today's message, I want us to think about a compass and to think about that picture of a compass and to think about it more in terms of our heart and where our heart is pointed. So we're in a series on the book of James and James is this letter to these early Christians who are trying to live out following Jesus. And James is this very practical book. It's this very down-to-earth, kind of giving us all these things about doing. And so last week we talked about the importance of paying attention to the words you speak. The week before that we looked at matching up our life, the things we do with the things we believe, and how important faith and deeds have to match up. We talked about the struggles of trials and temptations, all these different things. And James points us to all these things. And there's a temptation, a challenge sometimes when reading the book of James or sometimes any other books of the Bible that tell us about all these things we need to do, that we get caught up in this idea of doing, we get caught up in trying to fix all the problems within ourselves. We hear about the challenge of our tongue, we hear about caring for the poor, we hear about all these things and we think, oh, I've got to do something about that. And what we find out if you follow Jesus for any period of time is you can try hard all you want. You can try harder all the time, but there's always some part of you, some part of you that you just can't, you can't fix on your own. It's a temptation to try and fix everything on our own. And James gets at this here in this. And so first he talks about two kinds of wisdom. And this is really one of the central themes of the Bible. There's two different things. He says there's the wisdom from above, and there's earthly wisdom. And what does he say? He says, how do we know when someone's following wisdom from above? By the things we're doing. By the things we're doing. He's saying, that's how you know someone's following wisdom from above. In other words, wisdom from God. is because they're doing the things. And when they're doing those things, they don't lead to envy and selfish things, but instead they learn to peace so he said, the wisdom that comes from heaven is pure, peace-loving, considerate, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere. He says, that's what happens when we're following the wisdom from above. What I want to focus on is this next little section here. And James is writing to this group of people, and he says, well, what causes fights and quarrels among you? He says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. And so what James is getting at, he's saying, there's something that goes on inside of us. It's about our desires, our wishes, our longings that affect the way we act. And that's one of the truths that Jesus taught consistently and that James is trying to get to us here is that why do we do the things that we do? It's because inside us there's a longing there's a desire, there's something that's going on within us. In other words, we have an internal compass that's pointed towards our heart's desires. And if you're like me, you've probably had these experiences where 
you found yourself in a situation, or maybe you look back on a situation and you say, why in the world did I do that? Why did I say that? Or maybe you don't look at yourself and think that, but you look at somebody else. You say, I can't believe, you know, maybe it's somebody you've known for a long time and then they act in a certain way. You think, well, why would they do that? Or maybe you're looking at the struggles in the world. You're looking at the way people treat one another, the way things are going on, and you're saying, why are people behaving that way? And I think that's what James is getting at here. He says, why do these things happen? Why are these fights and quarrels and stuff? Because inside of us, our heart has a compass and it's pointed towards our desires and it's pointing towards our longing. In other words, James is diagnosing, he's providing a diagnosis for our destructive behaviors. He's providing a diagnosis for the reason we do all these things wrong. It's because we have disordered desires. What he says, he says, you want, but you can't have. You covet, but you cannot get. You do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. And so what's he saying? He's saying there's these things that we want in the world. And sometimes he says we want the wrong things. And sometimes we ask with the wrong motives. Sometimes we want the right things, but we want them wrongly. And so there's all these different things that are going on. So let's think about that a little bit. So if your heart desires fame and fortune, if that's your compass going on inside your heart, and you long for fame and fortune, think about how then that will affect the way you behave. You might begin to then behave and do, think, I need to do whatever I want. I need to do whatever I can, and it doesn't matter who gets in my way. I will step on anyone. I will climb over them. I will stab them in the back. I will do whatever I can to reach my desire. You know, here he says, you want what you have, you desire, but do not have, so you kill. In other words, there's something you want, and he gets pretty extreme here. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. We see that happening literally in today's world, but it happens in other ways, right? Somebody wants something desperately, and so what will they do? What will they do for it? And James says, you will kill. In other words, that compass inside your heart is leading you down a thing. And so there's this disordered desire. You're wanting the wrong thing. And so you overcome. But sometimes, is it possible to want the right thing and still do wrong? Is it possible to want the right thing? But maybe we want it too much. Or maybe we love it too much. We love it in a wrong sort of way. So maybe we have this wonderful job. And we're doing really great at it. And we enjoy the job and it, it fulfills our passions. It meets with the talents that we have. But we can become so fixated on that job. We can become so in love with that job that we begin to ignore the people around us. Maybe we find ourselves at work 12, 14, 16 hours a day and ignoring a family that's sitting at home. Maybe we're so intent on doing our job that we ignore all the people that are around us. Maybe our desire, the passion is to do well in school. 
And so we're folks so focused on doing that, and there's nothing wrong, and it's not a bad desire, but it can become disordered. It can become this thing that points us in the wrong way, and so we can begin to maybe try and find ways to succeed, maybe to bring down other students so that we can be recognized. Maybe it's our country. We celebrate the 4th of July this weekend, and, and we're proud, we're, we're joyous, we we love our country and we're so glad about what it is and the freedoms that it enjoys. But is it possible that sometimes our love for our country becomes disordered? That we begin to place our love for country over everything else? And maybe our love for country even overtakes our love for God. And so what James is getting at here is the way that our passions can become disordered. Our desires, and our desires, our hearts, are really that compass inside of us that point us towards the right thing. And sometimes we just want them with the right motive. I like this, but he says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. If you have children or grandchildren, maybe you've experienced this at times, right? Or maybe you remember as a child when you did this. That there was something you wanted, but you knew what your parents were going to say, right? But then you ask anyhow, right? You know they're not going to give it to me. He said, well, Dad, could I? He says, well, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. And so this is what happens is because that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And so there's this idea that James is getting at is that what happens, what causes so many of the problems we face in our own lives, so many of the problems we face in the world around us is disordered desires. People wanting the wrong things. People wanting the right things and in the wrong way. People sometimes not wanting the right thing enough or wanting the right thing too much. And so there's all these disordered desires, even fighting evil or getting rid of evil in the world. To say, oh, I want to get rid of evil in the world. Seems like a good desire, right? But can we go about it in the wrong way? Can it overcome everything else? So the question then is, how do we deal with this? How do we begin to do up? Do we just give up and do nothing? Because that can feel like the right thing to do. It's like, well, okay, maybe I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to do anything about it. Or maybe we think we can solve it all on our own. We think, oh, there's these problems. I'm going to just fix it all on my own. And James goes on and he gives us not just a diagnosis, but he gives us the prescription, the way to solve this problem. And he talks about this idea of friendship with the world versus enmity with God. In other words, there's an opportunity for friendship with God. But there's a little line in verses 5 and 6 where it says, Or do you think that Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us? And then beginning of verse 6, But he gives us more grace. This is how God responds to these disordered desires. This is how God responds to these things going on. He gives more grace. In other words, God is the one who enables us to fix the challenges going on inside of us. So my guess would be, if you could go somewhere, if you could speak to someone and you could tell someone, no matter how long you've been following Jesus, or even if you're not a follower of Jesus, say, here's the struggles that I have. Here's this thing that just is not going right, that I can't get right. Here's where my desires are disordered. 
The temptation sometimes is to try and fix it all on our own or to just sit back and say, well, God's going to fix it for me. But James says God gives us more grace. God gives us the ability to fix it. Like this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. is a great summary of what I'm getting at here. It's Martin Luther King Jr., this is from a sermon in 1959. He said, one cannot remove an evil habit by mere resolution nor by simply calling on God to do the job, but only as he surrenders himself and becomes an instrument of God. We shall be delivered from the accumulated weight of evil only when we permit the energy of God to come into our souls. Read that again. He says, one cannot remove an evil habit by mere resolution. We know that, right? I mean, we just think, oh, I've got this problem. I, I'm impatient. I'm lustful. I, I, I steal things. And just like, I'm just going to try a little bit harder. Sometimes works for a little while, right? But eventually that compass inside of our heart takes over. So we cannot remove an evil habit by mere resolution, nor can we remove it by simply calling on God to do the job. In other words, to just sit back and say, God, I got a problem, fix it for me. He says, no, neither one of those, but only as he or she surrenders himself and becomes an instrument of God. And that's what James goes on. Verse 7, submit yourselves then to God. In other words, give it to God, resist and the devil will flee for you. Come near to God. In other words, enter into God's presence, bring those challenges, bring those trials and temptations, bring those, wash your hands, purify your hearts, grieve, mourn and wail. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. In other words, the solution to our problems. And so think about what it is in your life. Where are those struggles that you have? What are those things that are going on in your life? What are those things that are causing you to hurt other people? And sometimes what we need to do is we need to step back and take the diagnosis and say, okay, who are the people that I've hurt? How did I hurt them? And then why did I do that thing? And so sometimes we need to just simply be like a little child and ask the question, why? And sometimes if you have children around, how many times do they ask why? Is it just once? Twice? Three, multiple times. And sometimes that's what we need to do with our own lives. We need to look at this thing and say, okay, I lost my temper last night. Well, why did I do that? And then when you answer that question, then maybe say, well, why before that? And then the why. And then get down to what you can often find is what's going on in your heart? Where are those desires that are disordered? And then rather than just trying to fix it on your own, return to James and says, God gives more grace and say, God, wants to help me fix this and this is the great thing is i for so long thought of god as simply saying carl here's the standard do your best to get there you just got to work a little bit harder you got to try a little bit harder and instead what the bible teaches us is that god gives a standard But then he gives us the grace, he gives us the power to be able to do it. And as we submit ourselves, as we humble ourselves before God, as we enter into disciplines of reading our Bible, of prayer, of of giving ourselves to God, God gives us the power to be able to do the right thing. He gives us more grace. If you remember nothing else from this morning, remember that in James 4, 6, 
where as we struggle, as we're having these fights, and as he's just diagnosed and said, you have, but you cannot get, so you kill, you covet, you do all these things. And what is God's response? He gives more grace. And so God gives to us. And so God invites us to be changed, to enter into this life of change and transformation. So ask yourself, diagnose, say, what's going on in my life? Where are the struggles that I have? Where are my desires, my wants? Where are they disordered? Where am I wanting the wrong thing too much? Where am I wanting the right thing too much? Where am I not wanting a right thing enough? Maybe there's something that's good and beautiful, but you just don't have a desire for it. And God wants to give you the grace so that your compass of your heart can be oriented so you're pursuing the right things. Because once the compass is set, you're going to live out of where your heart is pointed to. God's desire is to reorder our hearts. Not just reorder our actions, but reorder our hearts so that we can do what he wants. He gives us what? More grace. So let's remember those words as our good news for today, that in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our challenges, when our hearts are disordered, when we're wanting the wrong thing too much, when we're not wanting the right thing enough, when we're wanting the right thing too much, when our compass of our hearts is disordered, that God gives more grace. And when we humble ourselves, when we give ourselves to Him, He will begin to lift us up and to reorder our hearts so that we can love Him and love our neighbors as ourselves. Let's pray together. Our God, we thank you that you give us more grace. That in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of all the challenges that we face, that you don't leave us on our own, but that you give us more grace. That you enable us, that you work as we submit ourselves to you, as we humble ourselves, as we hand ourselves over to you. That you reorder our hearts and our desires to love you, and to love our neighbors. So we thank you. May your spirit continue to work inside of us. In Jesus' name, amen.